Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, November 20th, 2023. This is Bucky Rogers, Lifeline's Global Orphan Care Regional Coordinator, and today we'll continue our study of 1 Corinthians by looking at chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. In my younger years, I was a youth pastor for about 15 years. They were glorious, glorious and silly. I look back on those days and I wonder how I or many of my students survived. We did some crazy things, but in the midst of all that craziness, I can honestly say I loved my students. I loved them. I prayed for them. I laughed with them. I cried with them. I was with them in the great times and in the worst of tragedies. It was a really good season. Many times when I would be teaching the word, we would come uh, upon a passage that spoke some pretty harsh words or called out the readers and the hearers. Anytime I was teaching those, I would pause and scan the room with my eyes and say, now guys, you know I love you, right? Then I would proceed to rip into them. After some years of that, there would even be a collective sigh among the crowd anytime I would say, now guys, you know I love you, right? As we come to 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 21 this morning, Paul is having a guys, you know I love you, right? moment. He's been calling them out pretty heavily for their bickering and backbiting and drama. He has rightly chastised them for their discord, disunity, and their haughty favoritism. And now, like any good father, He figuratively gets down on his knees and looks in the eyes of his children and says, starting in verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? I actually really love the message version of this passage, so I'm going to read that here as well, starting in verse 14. I'm not writing all this as a neighborhood scold to shame you. I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you're doing wrong, but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. It was as Jesus helped me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything I'm not already doing myself. This is why I sent Timothy to you earlier. He's also my dear son and true to the master. He will refresh your memory on the instructions I regularly give all the churches on the way of Christ. I know there are some among you who are so full of themselves they never listen to anyone, let alone me. They don't think I'll ever show up in person, but I'll be there sooner than you think, God willing, and then we'll see if they're full of anything but hot air. God's way is not a matter of mere talk. It's an empowered life. First here in verse 14, we see Paul writing to the people of Corinth, and he calls them beloved children. I say the people of Corinth because we we so often say Paul writes to the church at Corinth, which, of course, is correct if you have good ecclesiology. But 
sometimes I think it makes us forget these were people, real people alive at a real moment in history that Paul is writing specifically to because he considered them his children and not only his children, but his beloved children. Those of us in the room who have children understand this term. Our kids are not just kids who happen to live in our homes. They are a part of us, whether by birth or adoption, they are ours and they are beloved. We celebrate their wins. We wipe their bloody knees. We spend sleepless nights praying for them and feeling their pain. And sometimes we have to speak hard words. But just like Paul says here in verse 14, we don't do so to shame them, but to admonish, to help them be better, stronger, healthier, wiser, and more devoted. That's how our good, good father admonishes us. Scripture says his kindness leads us to repentance. Even his harsh words are kindness to us because of his grace and mercy toward us. So here, Paul wasn't trying to beat them up. He was trying to wake them up. We learn here that there is value in both strong and gentle words when said in love. He continues in verse 15, saying, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many spiritual fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This term he's using here as countless guides is, is pretty cool, and it's telling. It helps us understand what he's really trying to convey here. That term was often used of a trusted and long-standing servant in the household that was often tasked with guiding a family's children. He may have made sure that they got to school and back or made sure they ate a good breakfast and stayed out of certain areas of town. He was a guide, but he was not a father. Regardless of how the children respected their guides, it was a whole different story when it came to their father. My middle son, Zan, has always been a bit dramatic. He feels deeply about everything. And there are times, especially when he was younger, that he would get in his head and really nothing Julie and I could do would calm him down. He would just try, she would try, and then if nothing worked, she would call me at work. We only lived about a mile from the church, so I would hop in the car and head home to talk him off the ledge. This particular day, he couldn't wear some particular piece of clothing because it was in the washing machine, and he went nuts. Julie called, and I could hear him in the background howling like a wolf, literally howling. I got home and he was in his room, still howling. I opened the door to his room and he stopped and looked at me and with an absolutely terrified look on his face, he said, you're going to kill me, aren't you? Of course, I wasn't going to do any such thing. But there's just something about a father and the impact and the presence of a father that changes things. Paul says, it's okay to have many guides in your life. It's good even. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. But there's only room for a few real fathers, and we should be very, very careful about who we follow as a father in our lives. Paul says, I'm a father to you, not because of flesh and blood, but because of the gospel. Paul had been the one to bring the good news about Jesus to them, and he saw them as his own children in the faith, which is why it was particularly painful when he saw them acting in immature and dangerous ways. In verse 16, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. On first glance, that looks a little odd. Like, why would Paul tell them to follow him? Aren't we supposed to imitate only Christ? Well, yes and no. Thankfully, God gave us relationships with other believers for our good and for their good and for the good of the whole body. There is great value in learning from the example of others and following them. But here's the clincher. And Paul says this when he's talking about similar things later in, in the book in chapter 11. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. 
Our ultimate authority is Christ and the Word. To the extent that godly fathers and mothers in our lives follow Jesus, there is value in us following them. About this subject, John Calvin wrote, This limitation must always be observed so as not to follow any man except so far as he leads us to Christ. Elsewhere in the Bible, we see things like shepherd God's flock, not lording it over them, but being examples to the flock. But here's the amazing thing, and I love this. Notice he doesn't say, follow this rule, this precept, or this list of requirements. He says, follow me. The same thing Jesus told the disciples. Guess what the beautiful thing about follow me rather than follow this is? Follow me means I'm going with you. I've been on this road. Come with me. Walk with me. Trust me. When Zan, my middle son I just talked about, about howling like a wolf, was about four years old, we got our first snow, and he had never seen snow in his, in his short four-year life. Um, South Carolina doesn't snow all that much, and so this was the first time he had ever seen it, and he was so confused. He looked out in the front yard, and instead of seeing a winter wonderland, all he saw was something he didn't recognize, and he was afraid. I got him all bundled up and ready to go outside and have some fun. So we went out, I ran across the yard, I tossed our son Brennan to the snow, he loved it, he was just rolling around in the snow, and I turned back and Zan was still on the porch, not moving. I called, nothing. I offered ice cream later, nothing. Finally, I just decided to enjoy the snow and let him come if he wanted. After about 10 minutes, I looked over and he had gotten off the porch. He was standing in the yard. I looked behind him and still only saw my footprints in the snow, and then I realized he had stepped inside my footprints every step of the way. He wouldn't step anywhere I had not stepped. Why? Because he had no idea what was under that snow, but he trusted his daddy. There's value in following the godly example of others. The Corinthian believers absolutely should be like Paul in his willingness to suffer for the gospel, to go anywhere he was called, to do whatever he was asked to do by the Lord to be willing to be everything to everyone so that by some way, some means, he might be able to win some, to be imprisoned and unpopular for the sake of Christ, and to love those even who persecuted him. Verse 17 continues, That's why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. There again, Paul clarifies for them to follow his ways in Christ. And he reminds them that his teachings are for all the churches. He doesn't have one set of teachings for one group and a separate message for another. His teaching and his practice is consistent. And why? Because truth doesn't change. It isn't situational. Because truth isn't a thing. It's a person. And he never changes. Verse 18 continues, Some are arrogant, as though I weren't coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Okay, Paul, I see you. Paul has gotten to the point where he's had enough of the idle gossip and talk, and he has a little table flipping moment here. He then closes by reminding them, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? The choice was theirs. They could listen to wise counsel, follow godly leadership, and visit with Paul as a brother in Christ with gentleness, or they could continue to walk in ignorance and immaturity and face a much different picture. For Paul, the gospel was too important to mince words. He was not going to candy coat the consequences of treating the bride of Christ as anything 
but the beautiful gem that she is. If Jesus died for her, his people ought to respect and love her too. A great reminder for us is to, I think is fitting um, in Proverbs 30. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. The Lord delights over you, rejoices over you with singing, and gave himself for you. So here are a couple of practical takeaways today. Number one, admonishment is meant for our good, not our shame. Don't live weighed down by shame. Instead, see the freedom you have in Christ and walk out of the sin that so easily entangles and brings that guilt. Second, choose wisely who and how you follow. Know the word so that you recognize godly leadership. Third, seek the Lord while he may be found and allow his kindness to lead you to repentance. There will come a day when repentance is no longer an option. Thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we're praying for our expectant mother's ministry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word, which never returns void. And thank you for Christ. Lord, we lift up our expectant mother's ministry. We pray that women who find themselves in crisis will reach out to us for help. God, thank you for the many pregnancy resource centers across this nation. We pray that they would be a safe and welcoming space for these women love you so dearly and are made in your image. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to minister to them. Go with us now. Help us be salt and light in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music